throne and over this uh, one sitting on the throne there's this rainbow, it's emerald and around the throne are 24 elders and four living creatures that are, look pretty strange and uh, the thrones on the, there's this sea of glass before it and, uh, and then this seal that's there and, and John, it's asked who's worthy to open the seal and, and uh, then we see the picture of the lamb that was slain or slaughtered coming in and of course uh, that represents our Lord Jesus Christ and how's he's worthy to do that and so that was the whole picture of that was to I believe to show those early Christians that, that God is still on the throne and that God is in control of his universe. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, uh, Jesus told the disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And so what we're going to see here beginning in chapter 6 and through the end of chapter 11 is, is this the glorified Christ as he rules over uh, rules over the earth as he has authority over all the earth. And it begins with the opening uh, of the seven seals. And the, uh, the first four are uh, signified by horses. A white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. Or we might say a sickly green horse. Uh, if we would uh, be would, is more likely, more exact. And so each one of those horses signifies certain things. And then we're going to see in the fifth seal, he's going to open up, and we're going to see these souls that are under the altar. And they're there uh, because of the word of God and the testimony which they held. And, of course, uh, that testimony would be the word of Christ. And so they're martyrs, and they're under the throne and, and of God, and they're saying, how long, O God, uh, until you take vengeance for us? And so... Uh, and so we're going to look at those tonight. Um, I don't know if we'll get into chapter 7, but if we do, we will. Uh, but that's where we're at in chapter 6. Chapter 6 then is going to show this general uh, judgment of God in using uh, symbols that uh, we'll see it, that are used in the Old Testament with the uh, destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 24 uh, that symbolize um, God's judgment on nations. And again, I, I, I don't know if I've emphasized, I'm teaching this at, at the school uh, as well as here. Um, I don't know if I've emphasized, but, but this is God's judgment on, on a nation, on a political power. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches, if you look over at Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 and 31, that there is a day of judgment in which he's going to judge individuals. Uh, if you read there, um, we'll pick up in verse 29. Therefore, and this is Paul, he's in um, uh, Athens. He's preaching to those. Uh, he's telling them they're very superstitious. In other words, very, you know, uh, supposedly commentators said when you walk through Athens at that time uh, that you'd see all these little shrines to, uh, to some deity and... Uh, some of them would say an unknown God. And what it would be, according to one commentator, if I remember correctly, that you know they would be driving these sheep or whatever, whether or not they were special sheep or whatever it was. But every place they stopped, and they'd stop and, and for a while, that they thought that some 
kind of deity was stopping them. So they'd put up a little shrine to honor that deity. And so when Paul talks about, you know, the unknown God, um, you know, that was sort of the context of what he was brought that up. But of course, he's telling them about the one true God. And then in verse 29, uh, he says, um, therefore, uh, since we are the, and, and if you, here's an interesting thing, and then we're going to get into Revelation. If you look when Paul goes to the synagogues, he starts teaching from the Old Testament. You know, he'll go back to Abraham, he'll go back to some of those promises, and he'll teach from the Old Testament. But here in Acts chapter 17, where he's teaching Gentiles, he goes back to creation. He goes back and tells them, you know, God made of one blood, you know, we're all descendants. And so, uh, which, you know, obviously they wouldn't be as versed in the Old Testament as the Jews were in those synagogues. So anyway, 29 again. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that, divine nature, that the, the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So... Here the scriptures clearly teach that there's a time when all are going to stand before Christ. And other passages uh, teach that that's going to be uh, when he comes again. The world's going to end in flaming fire. And, uh, he's going to actually, when we think of judgment, we think of a trial, but it's going to be more like a sentencing. Uh, there's not going to be any trial with God. He knows everything perfectly. He'll either be well done or depart from me. But in time, God raises up and brings down nations, political powers. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that. You know, he looked out and said, look what I've done. I've built all this by my hand. And God said, Nat, you're going to find out differently. And he was driven mad and, and for about seven years, if I remember right, until he realized that God rules in the kingdoms of men. First, or Romans chapter 13 uh, the powers that be are ordained by God. And so God can bring nations up and he can bring them down. And so these, ju somebody have a no. these judgments are not judgments on individuals, but judgments on this political system or this false system of religion. All right, Revelation, any questions, comments? All right, chapter 6. Uh, we'll look at verses 1 through 8. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. First thing, where's the Lamb at this point? Chapters 4 and 5. He's there at the throne. So the throne's not in Auburndale, it's not on earth. It's in heaven. So this vision's coming from heaven, okay? That's going to become important because we're going to see back and forth that when we get to chapter 7 and it talks about who can stand, we're going to see where John's given a vision of, of, of the seal of God on earth, but he's also given a vision of, of the martyrs of God who are around the throne. So 
That's important when we're studying Revelation. Where's this coming from? And this is coming from heaven, okay? And, went then, and now I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. All right, so this first horse is what color? White. And the rider on it had a what? A bow, probably like a bow and arrow. Had a bow, and it had a what on his head? A crown. That wasn't a crown of like a king, but it was a victor's crown. Um, years, ain't, you know, long time ago when you were in a race, uh, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9. You want to turn over there, keep your finger there in Revelation chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians 9, and notice, um, beginning in verse 24 down through the end of the chapter. Somebody want to read that? 9, 24, down through the end of the chapter. Okay, for perishable wreath. Anybody have a different word there for wreath? Crown. And the thought was, like in the Olympics and athletics back then, and even uh, generals, when they came back from war, if they were victorious, they were given some kind of, sometimes an olive you know, branch crown, sometimes it would be gold. But it wasn't the crown like we think of a crown for a king. It was the crown of victory. And so back here we see this rider, he was riding a white horse. Uh, when we think of white, we usually think of what? Purity. Uh, but in many cultures, white was the sign of victory. And I've told you the story about Ghana when we went and the chief had been imprisoned and he got out and uh, the whole town was celebrating and they put talcum powder on their skin and, and they had on white t-shirts and the ladies were wearing white skirts and everything. And, um, and they saw us, and of course with our pale skin, they call, called us walking victory, or walking white people. Uh, and so they sort of pushed us up to the, uh, to the palace, and, and we got to go in and greet the chief. And we had known him, we had met him before, but so in many cultures, white is the sound of victory, or the, or the color of victory. And so this, this rider had a bow, it had a victor's crown, and it went out conquering and to conquer. One translation translates that as a conqueror, he rode out to conquer. And there are many commentators uh, who think that this represents the Parthenians. Uh, the Parthenians were probably the only group or nation or, or, or power that Rome feared. Uh, Parthian, the Parthian army had defeated them at least once and 
uh, they lived in somewhat fear that Parthia would uh, uh, go against them. And Parthia was part, if I remember right, it's, it, I don't think it was in um, northern Africa, but it was in that, that Middle Eastern, northern part. Uh, but they were a very powerful nation. And they were known to ride white horses, and they were known their primary choice of weapon was a bow. Uh, they were said to be able to shoot just as well going forward, and they could turn around backwards on their horse and shoot just as well uh, leaving. So they could attack going forward and, and as they were going past. So anyway, there was many, like I said, many comp, uh, uh, commentators believe that this represents uh, Parthenians. Uh, even they had a coin which showed a, a man on a horse with, uh, with a bow. Uh, but regardless of that, you know, the Bible tells us here, John, in that vision, that this, this vision of this white horse and this rider goes out as a conqueror to conquer. And so as we, after we look at all four, then we'll come back and we'll tie them together. All right, the second horse, the fiery red horse. Someone want to read verses 3 and, um, I think it's 3 and 4? Yeah. Okay. When I read this, obviously he's talking about some kind of war, but I, I look at it more like civil war, civil, civil disobedience, where you have people killing each other, but these are people that are not from one nation against another nation, but the peace that you would think would be within a nation has been taken away. And we think about on our own country, you know, back in, in the 1860s. Uh, the Civil War, I think even to this day, more Americans died in that war than all the other wars combined, if I'm correct. Anybody historian? Is that true? I don't know. He's saying yes, she's saying no, so. <laughs> okay. But notice he was fiery red, he went out, it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should uh, kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Okay, the third horse. Uh, verses 5 through 5 and 6. Somebody want to read that? Okay. All right. So you have this four, third horse. It's a black horse, and it has a scale, and it gives price of food. Now, the English translates it a quart. Um, I'm trying to look here what the original word is. Uh, you got it? Coinix, about a quart. So a quart of, 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 of um, flour is about how much? 
about a quart. <laughs> quart of liquid's 32 ounces. I don't know how much a quart of flour is. But what do we know from the study of the New Testament about a denarius? It's a day's wages. All right, let's put that in, in context for today. So there they're saying that this quart of, of wheat, or barley, wheat, would cost a day's pay. So that would say a quart of wheat would cost us, let's say, the minimum wage is what now? <laughs> I'm hearing seven, eight fifty, fifteen, let's just say ten dollars an hour. So if the minimum wage is ten dollars an hour, so what's a day's wage? Eight times ten, eighty dollars. So eighty dollars for a quart of wheat, is that pretty expensive? So what does that tell us? You have a thing. When do prices go up? When there's what? Limited supply. Supply and demand. When the supply is less, the price is more. So here I think the thought here is there's a famine. That, that this basic, that would not feed a family for, today, for a day, which would be hardly enough for one meal, but yet it costs a day's wages. So, you know, we look at it this, if I had to take $80 that I made today to buy enough flour for not even one meal for my family, there's something very difficult. We look in the Old Testament, and we we'll, might get to this as we start unpacking this a little bit, that um, during the siege of Samaria, it talks about a... a I don't know what the quantity is, but a small quantity of, of, of dove's dung, which is Doug's number two, <laughs> that they paid an exorbitant price for that because there was no food. And so famine, you know, it, it can, it's very costly. All right, then the pale horse. Uh, verses seven uh, and eight. Someone want to read that? Okay, so we got this force seal. Uh, we see that he says that the, um, on this, anybody have a different reading for pale horse? Everybody have pale? Okay. The pale horse and, on, and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him, followed behind him or followed with him. And all power was given them over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Why just the fourth of the earth? If this was the final judgment of God, would it be on just the fourth of the earth? Be the whole thing. So it suggests that this is not the final judgment. This is a, a partial judgment or a judgment on, as we've talked about, a nation. All right, so possible explanations. Uh, they may re represent uh, a message of judgment and of hope. And look at Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, verse 21, 12 through 21. Someone wants to read that? 
Well, I'll read it while I'm here. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would, not, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beast, even though those three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword on that land and say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off man and beast from it. Even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter, they would deliver only themselves by their own righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and the famine, the wild beast and the pestilence, to cut off man and beast from it. So you get this picture. What's God saying in this picture? When he starts his judgment, what's going to stop it? Nothing. And who's the only that's going to survive it? The righteous. So here's these Christians reading this in the first century, and the language is very similar to what John is writing to those seven churches of Asia and so he, he's, as he looks at this, and, and what does that tell him? If I'm faithful unto death, what? I'll receive the crown of life. So God may be punishing. He may use, he may use conquerors. He may use uh, civil unrest. He may use famine. He may use um, um, disease. He may use all these things, but if I'm faithful to God, I'll come out okay in the end. And so this picture, I think, that John Hatt is seeing here is that these are things that those that had some um, knowledge of the Old Testament would understand. This is what God had used in other nations. In fact, he used it against Jerusalem uh, in Babylonian captivity. He used it against Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Uh, to me, the use of the Old Testament, uh, and, uh, and I think there's like 400 or something references in the Old Testament. To me, that's more evidence that the, for the late date than the early date. Uh, because if, if this was all, this persecution was dealing with the persecution, by, which was primarily by the Jews, uh, up, you know, until, until after A.D. 70, uh, because Nero only persecuted into, uh, the Christians in Rome, uh, and he did that because he blamed them for, he tried to lay the blame on them uh, for burning Rome, which when he himself had done that. But if the Jew, if, if, if the primary persecution coming against Christians 
uh, was through the Jews, and apocalyptic is try to try to give encouragement to those who are suffering, uh, and to give that encouragement in such a way that the persecutors wouldn't understand. It seemed to me the Jews in the first century with their Old Testament background would have understood exactly what God's saying here. And so we see God can use these things. Uh, in Zechariah, the horsemen uh, seem to patrol the earth. If you turn to Zechariah chapter 1, uh, verses 7 through 11. Someone want to read that? One, set verses seven through eleven. So here Zechariah talks about these horsemen that God sends out to patrol the earth. In, in this context in Revelation, as, as Christ is opening those seals, I think he's showing the Christians that God can use these things. He can use war. He can use civil unrest. He can use famine. He can use disease, pestilence, uh, to bring down a nation. And of course, we could probably sit here and it wouldn't take us long to think of nations that, that fell because of those things. And so, um, obviously, uh, the premillennialists, the futurists, uh, suggest that the horsemen represent the Great Tribulation and the white horse represents a future an antichrist, but there's nothing in the scripture that suggests that at all. All right, any questions on the horsemen? They represent different things that I believe that God can use to execute his judgment. He can use war conquerors, he can use uh, war, he can use civil unrest, he can use uh, famine, he can use uh, pestilence uh, to bring a nation down. And then in verses 9 through 11, the scene uh, switches a little bit to John's given this vision of the souls under the altar. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Uh, whoop, I better get back there. Someone want to read verses 9 through 11? Forrest, you got it? Okay, why were they slain? For the word of God and for the testimony they, have, they held. Other, we're going to say the testimony of Jesus Christ. So they had been what on earth? They were faithful. They were faithful to God. For they were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. 
And they were slain for that. So what do we usually call people that are slain for the cause of God? Martyrs. martyrs. So they were martyrs. All right? Okay, so we see these souls under the altar. They, they're martyrs for the cause of God. Their question is what? How long what, God? How long till we wait what? To do, for you to do what? Pardon? No. What's the text say? Avenge and judge. Well, I mean, and we look at Romans chapter... Uh, one of those chapters in Rome, Romans. Uh, yeah, 12, okay. Thank you. Uh, beginning in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of man. Uh, it, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, beloved. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here these martyrs are asking, Asking God, how long before you avenge us uh, for what was done to us? And they were given what? White A white robe. We already talked about, we saw the right white, uh, right white horse, uh, victory, purity, all those things. They were given a white robe to each one of us and it said to them that they should rest for a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed, as it were, was completed. So they were told to rest until the number of martyrs was completed. Uh, they represent those who had been slain for the cause of God. They had not bowed down before the beast. Uh, in Revelation 13, verse 15, uh, we read of the beast. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Revelation 20, verse 4, uh, and I, John says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So these were individuals who had been faithful unto death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. And it seems that God saw their death as a, like a type of sacrifice upon his altar. Uh, the white robe suggests victory, as we said. Uh, God would avenge them. Let's look at Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. Someone has that? Yeah. 
Luke 18, 7 and 8. So here Jesus is saying that God will avenge. And he will avenge speedily. Uh, so God would avenge them, but it would not happen until God's plan played out. And we see in chapter 9, he's going to, in verses 20 and 21, he's going to offer the oppressor an opportunity to repent. And they did not. So the, the idea of completeness there, I don't think that God had like, okay, I got this set number of, uh, of people I'm going to allow die before I do this. But I think it complete is the idea he has this plan and, is, and, and until this plan unfolds, some of those Christians are going to die. They're going to suffer. Uh, you know, he's going to, uh, he's going to do these seals and then he's going to blow seven trumpets and it clearly tells us uh, those trumpets and what they signify were to try to bring uh, the oppressor to repentance uh, they did not, and then he uh, will open the bowls of his wrath. All right. Well, let's, we got, how much time we got? About a minute and a half? Three minutes. Uh, <laughs> let's try to get that in. The ladies will take time. All right. You want to, uh, someone read 12 down to the end of the chapter. Okay, in the final judgment, is there going to be any hiding? No. So again, this, you know, this, this vision shares with us that this is not, we're not talking about the final judgment here. Uh, some verses real quick. Um, Forrest, would you look up Isaiah 2, 12 through 22? Uh, Jay, Isaiah 13, 9 through 16. Um, Ty? Would you read um, Matthew 24, 29 through 31? Uh, Matt, would you read Isaiah 34, verse 4? And each of these are going to show that this type of phraseology, this symbolic language, was used in the discussion uh, of other nations being judged by God. Okay? Isaiah 2, verse 12 through 22, Forrest.
right? So this is a judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, on Babylon, Isaiah 13. Yes, sir. Okay, Matthew 24, 29 through 31. You see the sun darken, the moon will not give its light. And then lastly, Isaiah 34, verse 4. Uh, verse four. Okay. So all those are, are representative of God's Destruction and taking his judgment on nations in the Old Testament and on Jerusalem at A.D. 70 in the New Testament. And so we see as we end chapter 6, he says in verse 17, For the great day of his wrath has come. Time for all this is, is God's plans going to be started. The great day of his wrath has come, and then he asks the question, he asks the question, who is able to stand? And chapter 7 is going to answer that question. All right, any questions on chapter 6? And it's just to show as, God, as Christ opens these seals that God can use different things to bring about his judgment. He can use war. He can use civil unrest. He can use famine. He can use pestilence. But God's people will be okay in that. And we'll see that in chapter 7. And God's going to avenge his people. We saw that, the souls under the altar. When God's plan is ready, he's going to do that. And we see that at the end of chapter 6, we see this, this vision of the sky darkening and earthquakes and all those things. God's ready to do his thing. The day of his great day of his wrath has come. And... Chapter 7, we're going to find if you are the sealed of God, you're going to be okay through all this. All right, thank you for your attention.